Hello, my name is Tim Fox. I want to welcome you to this episode of the Rethinking Church podcast. We began a new series as we kicked off season two with a conversation with Aaron Golden about a new book, Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. Beginning today, we're going to start walking through the, the conversations and topics of the book a chapter at a time, one chapter a week. If you're interested in the book, you can find it for pre-order at the WPH, the Wesleyan Publishing House store online. It'll be available beginning this Friday on Amazon as well. And you can join us if you're local for our release party at uh, Middle Grounds Coffee Shop. We would love to have you there. And then one last thing, our Rethinking Small conference is still available in digital format. If you're interested in 20 plus HD teachings along with um, a, a digital notebook and digital uh, digital planning guide for how to operate your own Rethink Small conference with teachings from proven rethinkers all around uh, the Wesleyan denomination and beyond as they help us to rethink what church could be and how we operate even as small churches. So we hope you, be you enjoy this conversation as we talk a little bit about rethinking the call. There is this law of diminishing effect at work in our world today. You see, the world is changing so quickly that if we continue to do the same things we did five years or 10 years or 15 years ago, then we're not even going to get the results that we did five or 10 or 15 years ago. In fact, if we keep doing the same things, our results are getting worse and worse and worse. It's time for the church to rethink. This is a series of videos where I am taking some time to teach through some of the themes from my book, Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church from Death or Through Death to New Life. As we unpack some of these issues, we're going to be looking at what it takes to be the kind of leader that can lead a church through revitalization, that can lead a church to rethink its future, that can even lead a church to restart. And while we do that, we're also going to be looking at some of the principles and skills and abilities that you need to be able to do that rethinking work. But it really begins with us as the leader. We lead from who we are. We have courage because of our hope in Christ. It all begins with Him. It all begins with the fact that He has been at work in our lives from before day one, preparing us to do good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, we often quote verse 8 to 9, but it's verse 10 where we see that he continues on to say, I have prepared good works for you to do. He has prepared in advance good works for us to do. He has been preparing you and me for the moment we are in right now. Everything we've been through, good and bad, every exhilarating moment, every disappointing moment, every heartbreak, every success, every failure, all of that is woven together as a part of what God does to prepare us. He has been preparing you for this moment. But not only has he prepared you to lead in your situation, in your church right now, he's also called you. 
You are called by God. As we walk through this life of ministry and have been doing it for nearly 20 years now, and there are times that we have to lean back on that simple truth. God called us. I can't do anything else. I can't pursue anything else. I can't walk away because God called me to this. He has placed that call on my life. He has gifted and given us graces, and he has called you. He has called you to do the work of ministry. He has gifted you for the work of ministry in unique and special ways. He has called you to the place you are at right now. He has prepared you, he has called you, and he has placed you. There was a time in the life of Hydrant Church, actually it was Goldsboro Wesleyan Church at the time, that I wondered how in the world I ended up in this little town of Goldsboro, in this church that was so dysfunctional and so backwards that our way forward was to shut down the church. I thought for sure that God had made a mistake, that I had misheard him, that the people had misheard him. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that if I looked back that, that there was a clear sense of God's direction step by step. It didn't matter that it had been a unanimous vote. None of those things mattered. I was sure that God had put me in the wrong place. If not the wrong place, then certainly the wrong time. And I really struggled for a long time with those feelings, wondering what in the world he was doing. But it was during that time, he took me back to some words that I heard Craig Rochelle say at a, at a catalyst one day years ago. He said that there had been a particularly difficult season when the growth of their church had, had moved things into a uncertain situation. Leaders were moving things away from the vision and strange things were happening and he was frustrated. He was complaining to God. You know, I'm, I'm really good at complaining, but when I complain, it kind of just comes out more like whining. And, and, and I really, I can, I can just get lost in that whining, get lost in wondering what in the world God was doing and feeling confident that he had abandoned me. And it was, it was then that I remembered what God said to Craig and really just kind of heard him say it to me. It was shut up. <laughs> shut up. He said, stop whining. You're smart. Fix it. Shut up. You're smart. Fix it. Stop whining. You see, as long as we're whining, as long as we're complaining, as long as our eyes are on everything that's wrong, then we're not leading. We are not pastoring. We are not shepherding. We are not doing the work that we are called to do. Now, you may be new in your church or you may have been there for five or 10 years. The temptation remains every day to be the kind of leader that complains about their people, that complains about their church, that complains about the building and the city and the location and has all kinds of excuses for why we're not seeing God do remarkable things. But as long as we're making excuses, as long as we're whining, we're not leading. And for some of us, the time is now. The time is now for us to move from whining to leading. It's time for us to move into action. You see, God has 
prepared you. He has called you. He has placed you. He has given you everything you need to do everything He's asking you to do. He has given you everything you need to do everything He's asking you to do. He has given you wisdom. In fact, He said, if you don't have enough wisdom, ask me and I will give you more. He has given us strength. In fact, He said that in our weakness, we find strength. He has given us a mind to work with. We are created in His image. He has given us hope and joy. He has given us self-control and discipline. Everything that we need to do, everything that he asks, he is asking us to do is within our reach. And the time is now. We have to lead forward. We can't get stuck in the past. We can't get stuck in the successes or the failures or the identity or the things that worked in the past. We are called to be in this moment and lead forward. Leadership is always about moving forward. For many of us, God has placed a dream in our hearts for our church. It doesn't have to be a big dream on, on man's scale, but God has placed a dream on our, in, in our hearts. The problem is most of us we don't chase those dreams. The only time we spend chasing dreams is when we're asleep. It's time for us to wake up and, and seize the moment and step out of being stuck. If you are new at your church, God has placed you there for the purpose of leading that church into whatever he has next for it. It may be a year or two years or 10 or 20 years, but he has placed you there in this moment to move that church to where he wants it to go, to help it to be all that he created it to be. There is hope, there is strength. The Spirit of God is available to you and to your church. It doesn't matter how small it is. There is significant work for you to do. One of my favorite stories that I go back to when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or feeling a little under-resourced or feeling like God has abandoned or forgotten me is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. You may be familiar with the story. It's right after a really well-known story that happened between Samuel and Saul. Saul is the king of Israel at this point, and his son Jonathan is a grown man in the army with him. And, and Saul is ready to attack the Philistines. They have what seems to be strategic advantage over their enemies. But Samuel has sent word to wait until I get there so that I can offer the proper sacrifices before you go to battle. Well, Saul, Saul gets anxious and he waits. He done, he's trying to do what he's been instructed. He's trying to do what God wants him to do and he waits. He waits a full week and no Samuel. So he offers the sacrifice himself and they go into battle and they get their tails whooped. And they get sent back running in every direction scared. Samuel shows up about then and is asking, what in the world did you do? Couldn't you have just waited for me? After this, Saul regroups in a valley with whatever men he has left. As they count up the soldiers, they realize they have about 600 men. 
The problem is the Philistines have, have destroyed every blacksmith's forge in Israel. And so they only have two swords. Two swords, 600 men, enemy surrounding them. In fact, now the enemy, the Philistines have the advantage. They're looking down over the Israelites, over Saul from a cliff, and he knows that he can't initiate the battle. So what does he do? He camps out and he lounges under a pomegranate tree. And that's where he stays. Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 14 that now he has a priest who has the ephod, who has the ability to offer the sacrifice and that they can go into battle. Scripture also tells us previously in 1 Samuel that God has promised to deliver the Philistines into Israel's hand. But Saul, Saul is stuck. He's stuck. He tried to do the right thing. He tried to win the battle. He tried it his own way. He tried the things that worked in the past, and he failed. And now he's stuck in that failure, and he's just lounging under the pomegranate tree. Many pastors, especially small church pastors, are more like Saul than we want to admit. We've tried some things. We stepped out of our comfort zone. Maybe it was new music or a new program or small groups or, or decorating or changing the stage. We tried something and the backlash pushed too hard. Or, or maybe we failed or it just didn't work quickly enough. And so now we're frustrated, we're hurt, we're a little insecure, we're a little afraid, and we're stuck in that failure. And we're, and we're stuck under the pomegranate tree, just like Saul. Others of us, it's successes of the past. Sunday school worked, ministry worked, an outreach worked, something worked at some point, and we're still doing it over and over and over again, almost in autopilot, stuck under that pomegranate tree. We're lounging. Some of us have given up. We don't, we don't believe that our small church can really make a difference in our community. Our passion is dwindled. Our church feels insecure. We feel insecure. We feel insignificant in the denomination that we're a part of. We feel insignificant in our district. We feel insignificant in our community. And we fail to realize that we are not insignificant to God. We are not insignificant in the kingdom and because we fail to see as God sees, we act like Saul. And we lounge under the pomegranate tree. What we should really be doing is lunging forward like his son, Jonathan. In all likelihood, Jonathan had one of the two swords. He has a sword bearer who follows him around. And he looks at his sword bearer one day, his armor bearer, and he says to him, Hey, listen, I've got this crazy idea. I want to climb up the cliff to where our enemies are and just poke our heads up. And, and here's what we'll do. If they say, come over here so that we can kill you, then we'll know that God has given us the victory and we're going to go take them. But if they say, wait, wait for us, we're coming to get you, then we got to run. We got to run as fast as we can. And the armor bearer is like, well, I guess so. Sounds like a good enough idea. And Jonathan says these really remarkable words in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
He says, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps the Lord will give us this victory. If the Lord is with us, he can win the victory no matter how small the army, no matter how few is, are with us. Perhaps, perhaps was enough for Jonathan and his armor bearer to climb that cliff and to step up over it and to take the enemy and then God joins in and they win the victory. But it was because Jonathan was willing to lunge forward in belief and conviction and hope and know that the Lord was able to give them the victory. There were no guarantees. There are no guarantees in ministry today. Every minute, every moment is a choice. And we're never quite sure which moment can be a turning point, which moment can be filled with possibility. Do you know the, the word moment, it, it actually comes from the, the same word as Adam, Adamos. And, and, and it's where we get this idea of a very small thing. This Adam, <laughs> packed within a single atom is this remarkable, explosive power. It happens in fission as these atoms begin to replicate and split apart over and over and over and over again, creating what we know as an atom bomb. Every moment is packed within it, this explosive spiritual, God-infused power. We don't know which one is going to be a life-changing, church-changing, community-changing moment. So we have to be ready to seize each one. We have to be ready to lunge forward, to get off our rear ends, to stop lounging under the pomegranate tree, instead to realize that we are prepared by God, called by God, placed by God, and every moment is a gift. Every moment, an opportunity, and we unlock those opportunities with our choices. Every time we choose to take a chance, to take a risk, to do what God is asking us to do, to believe in the impossible, to call people together, to act in love and hope and sacrifice for those that God loves. Yes, it will require sacrifice. Yes, it will require things that we can never imagine. It will lead us into places that we're not sure we really want to go. But, but, man, isn't that what he's called us to? Isn't that what he called us to as pastors, as leaders? He's called us to lead, to serve to shepherd, to take his people where he wants them to go. And there are moments that it's hard and moments that it's scary. We have to lean back on that calling, lean back on the conviction that he's put us where he wants us, to realize the time is now and to begin again to act. One moment, one choice at a time. Now, as you think about this video, I want to give you a couple of questions to help you reflect. You can actually find these same questions at the end of the first chapter in Rethinking Church. But the question is this, what is God asking you to do? 
What has he been asking you to do? And do you have the courage to do it? Second question is, like Saul, we, we all sometimes find ourselves stuck under that pomegranate tree and we really should be acting instead. And so I wonder, what's been preventing you from doing what God's been asking you to do? What's been preventing you from taking that chance, from believing in the promise, for going after that dream? Is it failures or complaints or excuses or fear or lies? What have held, what is, what's held you captive? What's it going to take for you to get free? Listen, the good news is that, that you're facing a limited number of problems and an unlimited number of solutions. But what we really need is not more money or energy or people. We just need an idea, a solution. So I want you to think about that problem that's had you locked down, that problem that's kept you under that pomegranate tree, that, that thing you're afraid to change, that action that you know you need to take, but you haven't been able to, to get enough courage to take it. And I want you to, to think about the biggest challenge in the way. And then I want you to write as many possible solutions as you can imagine to that problem. And I don't want you to stop until you have at least five different possible solutions to the problem. Maybe what you really need is to lean back onto truth. So what truth from Scripture reminds you of your calling and God's provision for that calling? And then, if there was just one thing if there was just one thing you could try in your church this year, then you knew it wouldn't fail, what would it be? What would you try? What would you try for the kingdom? What would you try for the lost? What's been in your heart and in your mind? What's been brewing there? What do you need to try? Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Rethinking Church podcast. If this has been helpful for you. We'd love for you to leave us a rating to share the episode with a friend and drop by the Wesleyan Publishing House store or amazon.com and pick up the book Rethinking Church, leading the struggling church through death to new life. And we'll be back with you next week as we continue these conversations. Have a great day.